The following program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning, my friends. Welcome to the show about money. It's Hi-Fi Radio. I'm Wolfgang Klein. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you each and every Saturday morning. However, the show is going to move. Uh, as of next week, it'll be uh, moved forward 12 hours uh, to 7 p.m. Uh, due to increasing demand uh, for the show. Uh, we're going to open up to a broader audience. So 7 p.m., my good friends, next weekend. It is Labor Day weekend, and the name of the game when it comes to money is to have it do the labor for you. Yes, learn to get your money to work for number one, which is you, my good friends, isn't it? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, that's what this show is all about, to help you learn to make money work for you. Uh, work, put some money aside, save it, invest it by quality, and it will work for you. But uh, as easy as the business is, it is very, very complicated. And uh, things may look simple, and the simplest things are the most complex behind the scenes. Uh, Jack and I have the great uh, privilege of uh, introducing Joe Vaffy to you. He's one of our analysts at Canaccord, uh, specifically focusing on FinTech, financial technology. Um, Mr. Vaffy, he holds, a, he holds a BA from Vanderbilt University. That's pretty cool. The Vanderbilt family, of course, uh, Anderson Cooper related to that family. Uh, yes, in mathematics and economics, uh, cum laude, magna cum laude. That means honors, I believe. Uh, I was not a cum laude kind of a guy, but uh, I got smart friends around me. So, hey, <laughs> I like to hang out with smart people. Joe, of course, is one of those individuals. Uh, also received an MBA in finance and marketing from Columbia University. That's a little bit more my speed. Uh, Joe, thank you very kindly for joining us. Um, the world of financial technology um, is, to the consumer, very seamless, um, very simple, uh, very user-friendly. And behind the scenes, it is very, very complicated. Uh, can we start with, let's just share with us, um, when it comes to digital and financial transactions, all the um, silos uh, and ability uh, to participate and make money in this space and, and really what does go on behind the scenes that we don't really know about. Yeah. Hey, uh, Wolfgang and Jack, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, you know, there's a lot going on in payments and fintech today, like you just mentioned. Uh, you know, obviously with the with the with the COVID pandemic, you know, we're just actually seeing acceleration to a lot of the themes that we've been talking about over the last uh, couple of years. You know, in particular, you know, I think e-commerce has kind of accelerated two to three years in just you know, a quarter or two as, as people have been uh, turning to, to online instead of brick and mortar stores. And when they do that, you know, obviously they are, uh, they're doing electronic financial transactions. They're not using cash. And so what we're seeing is new existing companies morphing some of their businesses to exploit uh, this kind of acceleration per se in e-commerce. 
um, with the consumers on consumer payments. And then we're also seeing a big acceleration in what we call B2B payments or companies paying each other electronically. Uh, you know, MasterCard, I think right now, uh, estimates that ha- in the U.S. at least, half of all B2B payments are still done in paper checks. And so that is a big opportunity for electronic payments players and fintechs to, uh, to start to grab some of that payment market share. So a lot of dynamics going on, and I think the pandemic has just accelerated some of the themes that we've been talking about for a while. Well, let's um, dig into a few of your names, Joe. Uh, a name that Jack and I have held for some time, a company called Square. Cute little story with my uh, experience with the company was I was up in cottage country uh, in front of a home hardware was a tent and a bunch of guys with chainsaws um, making these fantastic carvings uh, out of wood. And so I bought a wizard, remind me of the market wizards, uh, carved out of uh, wood. And uh, uh, I said, no problem, I'll buy it off you for 300 bucks. Uh, how do I pay you? He said, oh, no problem, you got a credit card. He pulled out his phone, he tapped, uh, he tapped my credit card, and he was paid. I couldn't believe it. Um, so uh, the software behind that was Square. Let's speak about that idea, Joe. <clears throat> Where does that fit with, uh, <clears throat> within your coverage universe in terms of your like uh, towards the business? Yeah, so Square is a really interesting story. You know, if you go back to the beginning of the pandemic, you know, think about what was happening. All stores were closed. Square has Square has two businesses. Number one, it does what uh, what you experienced, which was a small merchant uh, and selling items and facilitating the sale of those items with credit cards. Uh, that's what we call the the seller business. Square. The other piece of their business is their consumer finance and banking business, which is their cash app. So you may be familiar with Venmo or PayPal uh, that people use to pay each other. Square also has uh, a similar product, which we actually think is more robust, and it's called Cash App. And so when we look at those two businesses together, you know, the merchant or the seller business really took a hit at the beginning of the pandemic. All these small businesses were closed and people weren't really buying anything. Payment volume dropped off for Square. The stock dropped off a lot, too. What Square did, though, was quickly morph the solution that they provide small merchants. So instead of just in-store, all of a sudden these small merchants could start selling online using Square. They could do contactless payments so you didn't have to give anybody a card. Uh, they could do pickup, drive through delivery, it was all bundled into the application really quickly, helped these small merchants stay going and, um, you know, keep the lights on. That was good. But at the same time, the consumer product Cash App has really taken off. And, you know, I personally believe that Square's Cash App could become one of the biggest uh, consumer financial plays of, of the next five to 10 years. You know, you can, you can do anything on that card at this point. You can buy uh, Bitcoin, you can trade stocks, you can get your direct deposit, you can, uh, you can swipe your debit card. And so we really like it. Uh, so you continue to remain uh, bullish on uh, Square. How much upside do you think the stock has from here? Well, I, I don't know how. I'd say, Wolfgang, that you know, the stock's had a really, really big move. I think most of what I've said 
people believe, and a lot of that's built into the stock here. Um, so it, it's hard to to say how much more upside is is in the stock, say in the next twelve months, because it's just had such a big move. But you know, it does feel to us that there's still a lot of market share gains for them. And you know, if if that indeed does happen, I think it does accrue to the stock price over time. Well, without question, the market has had a monster move. We are entering the month of September, which tends to be a little more volatile, and certainly the market is ripe to give back a little bit of these incredible gains that we have seen. But that is the market, my good friends. It is a mystery. We're speaking with Joe Vaffy. He's an analyst uh, with Canaccord, focusing on the world of fintech, covering names like PayPal, uh, uh, IHS Market, uh, Fidelity, and uh, the likes. We're going to talk further about the world of financial tech and digital payments right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome to the show. It's about money. It's Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Portfolio Manager, Jack Hartle, my partner and portfolio manager as well. We have Joe Vaffy on the line. He's one of our analysts at Canaccord. He covers the world of financial technology. Of course, it is supposed to be getting set up for back to school. Uh, some kids may go back. Some will go virtual. Um, and, uh, of course, the bills will continue to come in. The question is how many of those bills we will pay by check and how many we will pay digitally. It's uh, uh, The world of digital payments is just uh, skyrocketing, and that's what uh, Joe focuses on. Um, Jack, you've been uh, tuning into our conference calls at work uh, uh, frequently, regularly, and you've been catching uh, Joe's work online. So do me a favor, uh, hit him with a couple of your best shots in the world of FinTech, would you? Absolutely. The one point I would make with with Joe is he's really um, looking at real-time economic data uh, through digital payments. So I was hoping maybe Joe could comment on, you know, what are you seeing in terms of the recovery? Because everyone's, things are opening up, obviously. Um, COVID is um, not abating, but we're obviously being able to treat it and trace it and track it. And there's expectations for a vaccine um, towards the end of the year, hopefully, in, or in early 2021. But what are you seeing on the digital payment side of things in terms of volume uh, as an indication of the recovery? Yeah, Jack, it's uh, as you said, you know, payments are kind of a good indicator of the economy. And so, you know, a lot of the, the stuff that we focus on, we, we do get a look into kind of uh, payment volumes. And, you know, we clearly saw a big downdraft in May and into early June. Uh, but those numbers have now rebounded. And I think we're actually overall back to payment volume levels that are at or slightly above where we were pre-COVID. Um, a lot, of, but remember, a lot of what we look at is electronic payment volume. So as we've also seen a shift to more electronic, that's also been taking some share away from checks or you know even cash transactions. So uh, sure. I think. So we've got some robustness there and, uh, you know, clearly electronic payments are continuing to take share from cash and paper checks. And what are you seeing on the business side? Same thing as well as consumer or is it uh, is it lagging? 
Yes, we're seeing uh, we're seeing businesses have to react. You know, we you know in a lot of uh, in a lot of the companies that we analyze, you know, we are hearing the stories of how you know paper checks just couldn't be cut to pay suppliers because no one was in the office, no one was there to authorize the payments, and so new businesses are evolving pretty quickly to help to automate and bring online a lot of these processes, especially in smaller businesses where, you know, perhaps, you know, there's pretty tight control, obviously, over the checkbook, but there can be tight control over the checkbook uh, using software and electronic payments, too, if uh, things are designed well. So we're seeing big uptake in, you know, what we call accounts payables automation as well. That's um, a a big area right now. And, um, you know, we're going to, I think we're just going to see the B2B side of things continue to evolve the business to business payment side. You know, you know, what's incredible gentlemen is uh, I'm uh, about to uh, take on a mortgage as I bought a new home and uh, I was offered by uh, uh, TD that if I open up a checking account and have my payment uh, for my mortgage come out of my checking account from TD, they would send me $2,500 back. Now I currently bank with the Royal and I said, well, I bank with the Royal. My paycheck goes to the Royal. That shouldn't be too difficult. I would just have to transfer the money from my Royal account online to TD account online. Can't do it. The bank will not allow me to do a bank-to-bank transfer, uh, I think, in excess of 1000 or $1,500. Um, in this day and age, and the reason being, they don't want me to bank with multiple banks. Um, have you ever heard of now again, Joe? You're down in the United States. Have you heard of such a thing? And Jack, have you ever caught wind of that? Because I can send money from my Canaccord account to, to any client bank, but I can't go from bank to bank up here in Canada. Now there's only six of them, uh, but something is up with that uh, with that situation. Do you not think, gentlemen? I would say sure. for sure. Well, and I would uh, expect that you would, especially down in the U.S. I think it's a, a more competitive landscape. You do have smaller banks down there, uh, and a much more com- a competitive landscape actually down in the U.S. Um, so it's you know the big six banks do control the finances up here, um, and they are the gatekeepers. So, but but what I'm saying, you got digital payments going on. We got financial technology. Where I can transfer money uh, from my credit card to a fellow with a chainsaw in a parking lot, but I I cannot, through my secured network, transfer money from bank A to bank B up here in Canada. Uh, It's just unbelievable. I I, I don't understand. Um, uh, Joe Vaffy, in the interest of time, give us um, uh, your best idea. Again, the market's had a monstrous move in here, but but give us an idea for an investor, Uh, a three to time year, a three to five year time horizon. Horizon, uh, a buy and hold idea. Yeah, you know, maybe uh, Wolfgang, I'm going to throw out a, a slightly smaller idea. It's called open lending. Um, recently new to the public markets. And what they're doing is they have a credit algorithm engine that's being used in, um, in auto lending. And what they've been able to figure out is to, using fintech, is to evaluate certain borrowers that may actually be pretty good credit risks, but they, they aren't really usually given good credit because, you know, at least here in the States, their FICO score isn't that good. And, um, you know, some of the big auto OEMs are now starting to use this. So the finance arms of some of the big auto uh, companies are starting to use it, as well as a lot of credit unions down here in the U.S., which are smaller banks. 
And uh, we think they have a lot of running room ahead, and it's a really profitable business, open lending. Well, the symbol for open lending is LPRO, trades on the NASDAQ, companies worth in excess of $2 billion, which in America is a small cap company. Here, it's a blue chip large cap. Isn't it incredible? Uh, I, you know, I have to say to you, Joe, I love the U.S. stock market. I am delighted that we, uh, for the most part, Wall Street and Bay Street are in the same time zone. Uh, I, I do pity uh, the investor who doesn't think beyond the Canadian border because there is such amazing innovation in America. And, uh, well, you are the capitalist engine of the world. You truly, truly are. It's remarkable. Uh, open lending is your uh, idea. I'm going to dig into that one. I see uh, you think the stock is worth another 16% upside within the next 12 months. Um, perhaps a little weakness would maybe set up a decent entry point for the name. Uh, Joe Vaffy, it's a real pleasure to uh, speak with you today. I appreciate your, your insight. Hi-Fi Radio uh, will return uh, as we speak with our other analyst, Mr. Mike Walkley. Uh, He covers a little company called Apple, the world's first $2 trillion enterprise, right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Summer has come and passed. The innocent can never last. Wake me up. When September ends. Good morning, my good friends. Jack and I want to help you have your money do the laboring for you. That's what it's all about. You buy good stuff. Companies like Apple, you hang out of them for five years and you wake up and wow, it's worth a lot more money. Uh, we're joined uh, with Mr. Mike Walkley, a frequent guest on Hi-Fi Radio, <laughs> indeed. Uh, we are, by the way, moving the show uh, to uh, 7 p.m. beginning next weekend. So if you wake up next weekend at 7 a.m. and you uh, listen to the voice of Jack and I do not fret, uh, just uh, move your clock for 12 hours and you'll find us. Uh, but Mr. Mike Walkley is an analyst. He covers technology, uh, big companies like Apple, little companies like Sierra Wireless. Um, he also covered a company called BlackBerry, and uh, he was actually uh, one of the few analysts who was negative on BlackBerry late in its heyday, probably just after the uh, Christmas uh, uh, concert that they had with, uh, I think it was Van Halen in the now Scotia Pond uh, Arena. Uh, Mike Walkley, thank you for, kind of, for joining us this morning. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Oh, we are uh, living the dream, the COVID-19 dream, and uh, trying our best to get our kids back to school. I'll tell you one item that's a must-purchase for uh, two or three of my children going back to school is a new iPhone. Yep, uh, screens are cracked and scratched, and, uh, well, they need the uh, well, they need the tools. It's in a, you know, Mike, honestly, uh, my iPhone, as which I'm broadcasting the show to our wonderful guests right here right now, it, it is an, an incredible, incredible uh, almost life-saving tool in this day and age, isn't it? Yeah, Apple's just, they're doing great across all vectors. I mean, there's several things in their favor, but because of all the remote learning and uh, remote working, you know, the iPads returned to growth for the first time in over eight years in terms of year-over-year growth as uh, schools are trying to get iPads into people's hands um, with all the remote work and, uh, you know, Remote learning, you know, Macs and MacBooks are, are growing double digits. And then new 5G iPhones are coming in the December quarter that should return iPhones to growth. So, you know, the stock's had a huge run, now over a $2 trillion market cap. But uh, 
if anything, more and more people are joining the Apple ecosystem. And once you're locked in, you usually stay by more of the high margin services and you know, upgrade to Apple devices more and more over time. So yeah, they're definitely a beneficiary from the pandemic and coming out stronger on the other side. Well, you know, the world of technology is incredible and how it really has changed the world of business. Back in the day, there were multiple players in every industry, and uh, there was uh, diversification. There was companies that succeeded, companies that failed. Today, it tends to be a winner-take-all. Last week, uh, last Friday, I uh, did a little radio show on Kelowna uh, Radio. It was a lot of fun. I do it a weekly show there. And uh, I had to speak about Apple, and, and, and it's what is referred to as installed Base. Similar to the U.S. debt clock, I can't keep up with <laughs> with the rising U.S. debt. I can't keep up with the Apple installed base. And, and I threw a number on the table uh, that there was roughly a billion people who are carrying uh, an Apple product uh, on a daily basis. And Jack corrected me, but a, isn't that like a billion and a half people on the planet using an, a, an iPhone? Well, the metric they share is over 1.6 billion installed base. So it's probably closer to a billion because if you think about it, if you Apple tends to, you know, so in the luxury brand con, you know, area, so they sell high-end products. So if you're in the Apple ecosystem, there's a good chance, you know, like me, you own at least uh, at least more than one device, right? I have a Mac that works with my iPhone. You know, most of my family members have MacBooks with their iPhones, so we kind of have two per family. Um, not even counting other families that might have an iPad thrown in there, but. The installed base is north of 1.6 billion active Apple devices, and those devices are buying content and services. And what's exciting for the stock potentially is, based on our work, there's about 400 million people well overdue for a phone upgrade, whether it's like your kids you talked about with scratched or bad battery life. But with a new 5G iPhone cycle and new products coming, there's about 400 million people, you know, through their contract or own a phone that's, you know, two and a half to three years older or older. So, you know, definitely a big part of that base right to upgrade, you know, should they be fortunate enough to uh, be able to afford it. You know, Jack and I are looking forward to 5G. Uh, Jack and I have been speaking about 5G and we're investing uh, indirectly in 5G through some of our semiconductors, for example, that we have been purchasing. Um, speak to Speak to the audience, if you don't like, Mike. Uh, as to the significance and, and, and the game-changing uh, potential applications coming from the build-up of the 5G network? Yeah, it's a good question. So first I'll just say on semis, Qualcomm's probably our top pick in that area. Uh, not only are they getting back into Apple for the first time in several years, so that's going to add you know, 100 to 200 million um, new chipset revenue at, at a better margin. They're also gaining share within 5G in terms of market share and better content for phones. So we think Qualcomm's one of the better ways to play it. It trades at almost half the multiple of Apple, but it's going to grow even faster because of uh, just getting Apple back into the customer base. Um, to your question about how 5G is going to change things, it's just much faster bandwidth. So, you know, forever wireless has talked about kind of cutting the cord from cable, DSL, uh, fiber, et cetera. But 5G now should be able to get even faster um, speeds, especially if you're lucky enough to live in areas where millimeter waves rolled out. So they're going to try to go right to your house for mobile broadband also. And you know, later in the standards, things for autonomous driving that's talked about, for automated factories, that's all part of the 5G standards and new, new products and new technologies that should be more pervasive um, you know, by 
middle of this decade, even as early as 2023. Uh, and so at our growth conference uh, that uh, we hold in Boston uh, each and every year, with the exception of this year, it's a great, it's a great conference, uh, the Canaccord Growth Conference. And uh, uh, Jack has said, you've been down to the conference once, haven't you, Jack? I was there a couple of years ago, and then actually uh, this year I did the, the virtual conference that uh, went off without a hitch. It was actually uh, uh, exceptional. And then we had a couple extra days to even see some of the additional companies. So uh, it went very well, and it was a big success for Canaccord. Yeah, did you, did you have a chance to uh, tune into some of Mike Walkley's uh, uh, clients present? I didn't see Mike's, no, but uh, there was a, a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of healthcare and obviously technology as well. Right. Um, Mike, can you speak to another stock that Jack and I are watching we don't own um, and help us understand the story a little better and what, uh, what you think the upside is on the name? Uh, this, the, the company's called Okta. So share with us what it does and, 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 and why you, 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 what your interest is in the company. Yeah, sure. Okta is a leading um, cloud-based security software provider in what's called the identity market. It's a it's a fantastic company. We have a hold on it only because it's such a good company. It's at such a right valuation. It's trading over 30 times next year's revenue. So it's very expensive stock. But the reason it's doing so well is it's, you know, with this displaced workforce, um, these guys make sure when we log in remotely that you're who you say you are with all these new remote devices coming in and that you're accessing what you're supposed to access. So this is kind of called a new area of software security called identity management. We also cover a company we have a buy-on that's a more reasonable valuation in this area called SailPoint, ticker S-A-I-L. So both these companies are benefiting from what we think is a permanent trend because I cover tons of technology companies and the key theme I'm getting is we're realizing we can be productive remote. So you're allowing people now to work all over the world versus having big hubs in cities. We just have to hire expensive people in Silicon Valley, for instance. So with more and more people working remote, using their own devices to log into networks, um, companies such as Octa and SailPoint are cloud-based SaaS companies enabling secure ways to make sure people are logging in, doing what they're supposed to do with the data, and then also you know, making sure they're not only getting into the right data, but making sure they're not doing something malicious with it. So that, that's what Okta and SailPoint help solve. And uh, the big beneficiaries from that uh, you know, work-from-home phenomenon, that's uh, probably a somewhat permanent shift, even if we get a vaccine. I really wish uh, one of them can come up with a screen to stop that uh, duck cleaning company from calling me. Oh, goodness gracious. Um, Jack, uh, Pipe in here with Mike. Uh, again, sure. he's a great analyst, and uh, I know you and I are always loaded with questions, uh, so please take over. Sure. Mike, you talked about the, the secular growth of a lot of your companies, so long-term runway with a ton of these technology companies, especially with the, the change and uh, acceptance of work from home. Um, but valuation, obviously, is important. Uh, you said that uh, you know Okta is trading at 30 times revenue, which is very expensive uh, relative to historic standards. What valuation do you think is fair for these types of high growth, um, secular trends type companies? Yeah. And so if you look at growth plus profitability, we look at a metric and where where uh, companies should trade on that line. These are more the software group that I cover with uh, my partner, DJ Hines. And so Okta is just a bit of an outlier. That's why we have a hold on it. But you look at these areas um, and how the market's pricing them. They are near historic high, but they're also seen as long-term winners with just permanent changes and in, in how people are going to interact for work. You know, some names that we see at a better valuation multiple that we like would be something like a bandwidth, a uh, ticker B-A-N-D. It's been a 
another huge stock benefiting. But if you look at things like Zoom, right, going crazy with everybody zooming in, there's this thing called Zoom fatigue where you're tired of showing your face all the time while you're stuck at home. So every time you dial in and use a number, bandwidth is providing those phone numbers for all those UCAS video suppliers. So if you're looking for software company, more reasonable valuation, still good growth, um, you know, we put bandwidth as one at the top of the list to, to consider. That's a good, that's a very good idea, Mike. Look, we're going to go to a quick break, pay some bills around here. Uh, the show is Hi-Fi Radio. It's a show about money. Next week, the show will be moved forward 12 hours to 7 p.m. Uh, and of course, Jack Hartle will be in for your success as well. I each and every week. It's our privilege and pleasure uh, to join you for an hour and share with you our latest and greatest uh, thinkers uh, on Bay Street and Wall Street. Oh, I love helping you with money. Uh, please stay tuned. Uh, we'll get right back to the show right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Sort of. of education into well, your own four walls. Uh, I know my son, of course, is going to college, and uh, it's all remote learning to begin with. Whereas my daughter, she's going back to like it's grade eight, and they're deferring school for by a week. Uh, my son is supposed to go back to high school, I guess, on Tuesday. Uh, they're changing the uh, uh, semester, uh, so uh, the world has changed, um, and technology is allowing us to adapt remarkably well. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know how we would have gotten through COVID nineteen from a work point of view without our Apple iPhone. I truly like and spending. He was, I don't know, forty percent of my day on my phone. Um, it's remarkable. Now, again, we keep calling it a phone, but it is a very powerful computer. Uh, and you think about when they put man on the moon, eh, Mike? Uh, the computing power that they had to put a man on the moon um, <laughs> was so much less than our current iPhone, wasn't it? Yeah, no, it's amazing. You know, the Moore's law and, and technology advances. Yeah, there's a lot of advanced technology packed into into these iPhones and obviously it's a it's a critical source for you know lots of ways of for everybody staying connected during these uh, tough times without question so a, a new phenomena or an old phenomena that became new again uh, this last month uh, is stock splits stock splits uh, were popular in the 80s they were popular less so in the 90s and when Virtually dormant came 2000. Um, it came 2000, the companies wanted to have the cachet of being a high-priced stock, something that Warren Buffett has always had. Um, and the likes of Google and Amazon uh, emerged with a very high share price. Along comes Tesla, whose stock went parabolic and has remained parabolic, uh, announced a stock split of 541. Uh, many people don't understand truly what a stock split is. Uh, it's no different than ordering a pizza and having them cut you some more slices out of the same size pizza. The pizza size is still 12 inch, uh, six slices, eight slices, the same amount of pizza. It's just that you can share it with more people and each slice is worth a little less money. So when you split a stock two for one, which was the old standard, a uh, hundred dollar stock 
uh, post-split began trading at 50, and you had twice as many shares, but your net worth should not have changed. But they did find out through uh, actual uh, doing that when you split a stock and lower the share price, it opens up the market to more uh, individuals to trade stock. But Mike, this was back in a day when you had to trade stock efficiently by trading what was a board lot, 100 shares. And so odd lotters couldn't participate, and 100 shares of Amazon was unattainable by most investors. But that has changed with digital transactions once again. Today, you can efficiently trade one stock of Amazon and not get um, uh, you get penalized uh, for not having a board, correct? So what, what do you think is taking place? Because uh, Apple, of course, split uh, this week, four for one. Um, what's going on with Wall Street and, and, and the splitting of shares? Is there, is there a lot more of it to come? And my second question, Mike, do you think it's a sign of a top or do you think it's a sign of an extending bull market? Yeah, those are all good questions. Uh, as a tech analyst, it's tough to call overall market trends. But, you know, I think it's a signaling effect from both companies. You know, you look at Apple with them buying back shares and the confidence and the cash they generate. I think it's it's basically um, them signaling uh, that they're confident in fundamentals in the valuation, which the market took, you know, clearly when a stock goes up a trillion dollars in market cap so quickly, which is, you know, amazing to even say, you know, stock stretched it's at a higher valuation than it's been, you know, all the time we've covered it over the last decade, but the fundamentals are good too. So it's one of these things. Do you, do you continue to see good fundamentals with street numbers too low when the stock continues to go higher or does valuation at some point uh, get too extended on some of these names, but, you know, bottom line on Apple, um, they're printing money right now and doing so well. I think they're confident that the fundamentals, particularly post uh, the pandemic, if the economy slowly recovered, that they're pretty well positioned for strong sustained earnings growth to you know, maintain this uh, big share gain they've had. Well, again, the, the revenue is, is astounding. You, you have Apple forecasting to forecast it to do north of is it $300 billion of sales. Uh, that's north of a billion dollars of sales per day. Am I reading your math right? Yeah, you are. I mean, it's it's one of these funny things because you know you look at numbers in a model and uh, you forget that these are billions, not millions, like a lot of the other tech companies. Um, but yeah, but Apple, you know, understated CFO, he'll get on these earnings calls and say, oh yeah, we had a good quarter. We generated thirty billion in cash from operations this quarter, and you kind of laugh because the rest of my coverage company combined probably doesn't do that in a year if you maybe maybe if you backed out Qualcomm but um yeah it's just amazing how successful they are how powerful they've become and you know how loyal their brand is it's like a recurring hardware company I think it's over 95 percent of consumers who own different Apple devices plan to you know upgrade and stay within Apple for that next device so it's not like people who buy Macs are switching to you know to laptops that are not Macs it's not like people are switching from iPhone to Android, they're just continuing to maintain that base. And then on top of that, we're all buying more and more of their services, uh, you know, which are driving higher margins for them. So, yeah, they're just just a very strong company printing money. And your probably biggest worry is government regulations coming after them becoming too powerful versus any fundamental slowdown. Hey, Jack, isn't that what you see? One of our biggest problems is that the companies Jack and I tend to invest in tend to be dominant and tend to therefore be in the crosshairs of government regulation. Hey, Jack? 
Absolutely. It's a, a, well, not a good problem to have as a company, but uh, as an investor, you want to own, you know, leading brands in leading industries, and they tend to attract government to regulation over time. And it's, uh, you know, just a proven fact. You saw with the breakup of, uh, you know, uh, Exxon Mobil, not Exxon Mobil, what was it, um, Standard Oil, way back in the day. And actually, that actually created value when they broke up the company. But uh, like you said, Apple's an amazing brand, amazing company, uh, significant sales. I wanted to talk about the sales a little bit, Mike. Um, mm-hmm. Retail channels versus online. What are uh, what are you seeing in terms of obviously the trends? Oh, it's all online. Half their stores in the U.S. or more have been closed for quite a long time, so it's just a lot of online buying. You know, consumers are loyal. Um, you know, we just order them from our family because similar to sounds like the Wolfgang that uh, phones were breaking, the batteries weren't lasting, and you know, Apple came to our house. Uh, you know, socially distanced, set it up, uh, you know, outside, and we are good to go. So you know, they're they're doing it more remote now because you know I live in Minneapolis and you know, nothing's really open here. So that's how they're conducting business still. Do you see that as an issue at all? Because I know, especially with older people getting iPhones, uh, the retail store was really an opportunity for Apple to educate uh, educate their users. Yeah, I think that's something to keep an eye on they're slowly starting to reopen some stores in different states kind of looking at virus load by state but you know they're being extra cautious with their employees and to apple's credit because they are so successful they're even though the stores aren't open they're not furloughing their employees they're still keeping them on the books and you hope to have them back in stores over time depending on each state and you know looking at virus loads by state but i agree you know it's you hear all these touching stories of elderly people um you know getting together at Apple stores to, to learn new technology, how to commute better. Um, you know, interestingly, my son to volunteer this summer has been doing something called cyber seniors. And basically he does calls with, you know, people in nursing homes, et cetera, and teaches them how to use their Apple devices so they can connect to their family and do zoom and things like that. With, with the retail channel down, like you said, especially in the U S um, do you think that, uh, what are you seeing? I know you said sales are up, but are they up year over year, or is it part of the refresh cycle, or what's the um, what's the overall view on that? Yeah, even with the stores closed, everything but iPhones are up double digits year over year. So record record sales, first time iPads have grown year over year, and they're growing double digits in over eight years. Remember when iPads first came out, everybody was buying them as kind of the toy on the you know the business travel, watching movies on a plane, and they kind of declined over time as iPhones got to bigger screens. That kind of displaced them, but now they're growing again. You know, for the corporate buyer and back to school and all the e-learning, MacBooks are growing double digits year over year. So even with the stores closed, people know what they want. They're just ordering online. And, you know, people are becoming now tech savvy enough with some help and some phone calls, whether it's Apple support or, on, you know, family or whatever that's pretty good at setting up their devices. The only thing not growing double digits is iPhones. And that's because um, this quarter, Historically, they launched the new iPhone because of the pandemic. They're about a month behind plan. So you have a tough comparison where they launched the iPhone 11 with, you know, with this great battery life, which is much longer than any other Apple device probably ever on the iPhone side. And the good camera technology sold much better than we all thought. But they don't have the new 5G iPhones coming out. So you're going to have shrinking of iPhones in September quarter and then pretty good growth probably into the December quarter based on build rates out there. So. So basically, even with the stores closed, Apple's still growing as a company. And, you know, come December quarter, probably every every business will grow, um, including iPhones. Hey, Mike, I want to ask you if, I mean, it just, uh, we're running out of time here, but um, supply chain management, 
opening up, well, closing of the economy and then opening of the economy created a lot of bottlenecks, countless bottlenecks in what's referred to as the global supply chain. So, for example, my Bombardier ETV has a lot of parts made globally, and to get parts right now is very difficult. Uh, Amazon was restricting a lot of items that it was delivering to essential items only. Yet with, with Apple, I never really heard of supply chain disruptions other than um, the, the, the back and forth between Huawei and America and, 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 and Canada. Um, can you speak to the, the, the supply chain uh, the seamlessness? Yeah. So Apple, it, it's great to be the king because, you know, they usually get – you're not going to upset Apple if you're a supplier, and they do a great job. It's a very sophisticated company on supply chain management. Um, they did say just the, de- the spike in demand for iPads and Macs created uh, demand better than their ability to supply, which is helping um, spill into the September quarter where it's now back in parity. But even in the June quarter with so many people stuck remote, they have much better demand for those products, and they had trouble meeting all that demand, which is spilling into this quarter. But global supply chains, there's been lots of hits and misses. Most of my companies that had all kinds of problems back in March, April, May are starting to see things, you know, smooth out now. So I, I think as you get into restocking the channel for the holiday season, um, supply chains seem pretty healthy now relative to a couple months ago. Well, I guess uh, you got some kids going back to school. You've equipped them with uh, the latest and greatest uh, technological tools. And that's what these uh, devices are. They are tools that unfortunately you must have because everyone else has one and to keep up, well, that's what you need to do in this day and age. But uh, again, it's a show about money. Jack and I are here to help you make some of it. Uh, and that's what uh, we try really hard to do, and we do do uh, over time. Uh, Mike, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time this Labor Day weekend. I want to wish you a safe weekend and a uh, wonderful uh, September, my good friend. Friends at home, uh, again, the show will move next week to 7 p.m., 7 to 8, Hi-Fi Radio on this uh, wonderful radio station, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. All the best. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. The preceding program is a specialty program. Unless otherwise identified, the participants on the program are not employees of Chorus Entertainment. Opinions expressed may not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.